those greatest teachers of all time will oftentimes speak in parables so you can come to your own conclusion and you just give people something to think about i think sometimes that's the job of a writer is to just break through the initial mindset of people so they can think differently so much of what we focus on is what we do but what i think the first step of wealth is to focus on the don'ts i think the don'ts take up a lot of time in our society welcome to perth property insider where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management, sales and buyers agency servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here's your host, Jared Mann. G'day, John. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's an absolute honour because I was just saying to you, I've read your book at least five times and I'd put it up there as one of the best property investing books for the next generation. And I don't say that lightly, especially when I started my journey with the likes of Rich Dad Poor Dad and I'd actually put this up as being better than that. So thank you so much for joining me today. Humble, Jared. Humble. Thank you so much. Uh, seriously, when somebody says that kind of thing to me, it's what makes uh, all the pain of a book worth it. So thank you. Yeah. Well, we're going to go into what The Wealthy Gardener is all about, some of its principles today, but let's start by having a bit of a chat about your background and upbringing, and it'd be just great to know what's behind the book. Sure. Uh, I think what's most noteworthy with my past is that it's not very noteworthy. Uh, I came solidly from the middle class uh, of America. Uh, It was uh, a small town outside of Pittsburgh based on a coal mining business. My upbringing was that my father, my grandfather was a coal miner, the other far, the other was a farmer. My parents, uh, they got together, got married, and bought a half of a trailer, not a full trailer. I was the first person in my family to ever go to college. I came out of college with $200,000 worth of student debt in today's dollars. So, you know, I came out pretty well in a hole in a way that most of the people in my area didn't, couldn't fathom. And so, you know, you look like a, a well-dressed young man and I was a chiropractor and uh, you just can't see the story behind a story where you're, you're really just working and there's this big, enormous student debt that controls everything you do in life. Uh, so that was the, that was the twenties for me. And so I, I, I had to work my way out of it. I would say that's, that's about the, uh, the background that starts this this conversation. Yeah. And tell us a bit about The Wealthy Gardener and why you chose to write it, because you can tell as you read it that it's not just a lot of, it was a labor of love. So it was, it's, it's a labor of love because it's, uh, it was written for my son way before this book was ever published. I would say that I've, I've, I've reached my financial goals before I turned 50. And at that time of my life, my son was just going to college. I had just reached my goals, and so I was. it was time for me to know when enough is enough, and yet I saw him heading out the door about ready to embark on his own journey, and it just felt like a calling to me to say, listen, this is what I know, and I, you're, you're going to walk your own walk in life, but you might as well start from at least knowing the knowledge that I gained over all of my decades and start there, and then walk your own journey. And so... I, I wrote The Wealthy Gardener, you know, the subtitle is Lessons on Prosperity Between Father and Son, and it was a between father and son, no doubt about it. I would send things his way. He would argue back, 
sometimes question. We would go back and forth. It was it was a great period of our lives where he was in college and we connected in a way that uh, you know I'll always look back at that time and say that was a that was a good couple of years. Mm. And rather than just going with straight principles and you know possibly losing readers and you know how many the there are how many of those ingredients there are to creating wealth what made you decide to write it in as a parable so it's half story and half principles i just love the way that it's delivered was that the intention all along or jared i i think it's really easy to write a dry recipe book on finance i also think it's it's necessary to when you're speaking to your son uh to, to tell stories maybe and that was the original intent you know the greatest features of all time not including myself in them but is saying that those greatest teachers of all time will oftentimes speak in parables so you can come to your own conclusion and you just give people something to think about i think sometimes that's the job of a writer is to just break through the initial mindset of people so they can think differently sometimes stories will lead you to that you'll see great great teachers throughout history they teach with parables they teach with stories I could tell you something in one step. It's not that hard. Or I could give you something to think about. And maybe I could give you the experience that I went through. And if you can get that, if I can get, convey that through a book, now you'll be my son. It sticks with you, penetrates into you, goes past your mind, maybe into the emotions. You know, that's that's what you're after with a, uh, as a writer. Sure. And I've um, spent a fair bit of time lately delving into the subconscious on the show and i even had my hypnotist on um believe it or not that who did work with me with reprogramming my subconscious and i think story as you've alluded to there's a fantastic way to start to reprogram our beliefs and just the ways that we think in our mindset and sure because it can penetrate past the just the intellect like you know there's there's the intellect and then there's the subconscious that you're talking about now you're talking my language I love these conversations because I say, I mean, at a certain age, we have learned enough. It's not like we need tons more knowledge, okay? We just need now to do the things we know to do. We don't need new things. We can't do the things we do. And so now you're talking about what is that power that some people have that they just do things that they know they should do and some of us will almost do things and we will do things consistently and we we say we want this and we, absolutely now what is that now you're talking subconscious in my in my mind if you want to see what's in the subconscious mind you just track a person's actions actions speak louder than words and then if you if you don't like your actions now you go back to the subconscious mind so i'm, I'm loving what you're just saying there yeah it's perfect in your book, you also talk about having the seeds of desire that motivate you. And, you know, I my seeds of desire were really strong from a young age because of my up- upbringing too. And my reasons for creating wealth have changed over time as, as, as you do. But what were your seeds of desire to creating wealth and how did they come about? You know what, Jared, I, I know for a fact that everybody wants something and everybody fears something, right? Uh, that's let me just start right there and all i knew was i was so trapped in my 20s all i could do was just go to work spend myself come home and just pay my bills over and over and over 
And there came a point where it's just all there is. <laughs> I mean, granted, the simple the simple pleasures exist there. You know, I have a family. I have a I have a great wife. We have a good relationship. We have kids. I have a roof over my. I'm not a. I'm not in the coal mines like my son. I have a lot to be grateful for. But is that all that my potential on this earth was for? Okay, is that all it was for? Just to earn a living and not get ahead. And I just felt a call to to not be controlled by the chase for a dollar. I, I felt like that was a constraint. Not that I wanted wealth. I don't really. I don't care about big houses and wealth. I, I really wanted freedom. Uh, to choose and to do things that I felt were the content of my days. I think that was my my big desire. I wanted to control the content of my days, and that's what that's what wealth will give you. Like you'll still have the same challenges in life. You know, I've been on both sides of the track. You're going to have a lot of the, the same game on the wheel, but you have a choose. You can choose the content of your days when you have a certain amount of freedom. That's what it was about to me. Fabulous and. I one of your, your quotes from the start of the book is that there was never just one ingredient that led to his financial freedom. It, it was a way of life, and I just love that because so many authors, experts in inverted commas, that show the flashy trappings and other things that they think are attractive. You know, they offer the magic bullet, and it's just refreshing to me the layers that this book goes into and unpacks you know slowly for the reader and, and does it in the story form which is fabulous but tell us about some of the ways of life i guess that led to to your wealth and we if you go through some of them in the book but i'd love for listeners to hear a few absolutely and it's it's a you know i I've, i just noticed that you're asking the hard questions jared and it's, it's and that's great it's great because one of the frustrations when I get on, I would get on to when speaking with people after a book is that what's you'll get the question, well, what's the one secret? What's the big one? It's like no, they're up. and I was just always tripping over that question nonstop, even though I wrote a book, and they keep on uh, putting me on the spot. What's the one thing? What what should I tell my readers? No, it's a way of life. It really is, and I really all, always loved the the quote that success is the sum of small efforts repeated day in and day out. It's a way of life. What are those? What are those ways of life? I mean, people talk about morning rituals, and I am. I have been working so hard since the, this book came out to try to put that way of life into the next book in a way that people can say they can unpack it and say, "This is it." What's the way of life? In my opinion, the way of life is certainly mental clarity. You know, if you can't see it, Jared. In my life, if I couldn't see it, I couldn't do it. And what I mean by that is the imagination works in images. It's a secret life that nobody sees where I would wake up in the morning and I would visualize. I don't even like the term sometimes. It gets it gets thrown around too much in America where you just visualize and things are supposed to come to you. Things like the secret of always giving it a bad name, but then people kind of leave it out of there and think it's not important at all. Exactly. But then who does it mentally rehearse before a sport, sporting event? And so, you know, you try to see things, you try to visualize things. That's part of life. So, yeah, can you see it? I can never see it unless I can either write diagrams. First of all, clarity. Second of all, let's talk about the subconscious stuff that you're talking about, the hypnosis and stuff like that. However, you do it, you got to do it. You got to control that big invisible force within you, or else you're going to be at odds with yourself. You have, to, in my opinion, you have to get the body, mind, and soul aligned. Aligned, and so as it means you, you, you again clarity. 
So you, so, so much mental preparation before the event of life. Sometimes I, I think that yeah, people will go through a lot of things in the morning, all these rituals, and then they won't get to put in any hours. Now you do have to put in the hours and all these other things are just prep for the game. It's not the game. Visualizing, it's important, but it's not the game. Working on your mindset, it's important, but it's not the game. And in the book, you talk about those impact hours and just how important they are. So what is an impact hour? So let's say in my own life, okay, after you get your head straight and you, you really work on your mind, and these things are just to empower you to get into days and use your days. And I want people to understand that it's, it's not always about an impact hour is effective time use. What What is your goal? What moves you ahead? You got to get clear on that and you got to give time to that. So many of us, I see, go through all these rituals, but then they work a full-time job. They come home, they eat a big dinner, and they slay, They watch TV and go to bed. Well, what happened that day? I mean, you're, you're certainly living a responsible life, but is that moving you closer towards your, your goal? Where's the impact hours there? In your free time, in your work job, an impact hour to me is a building block day after day after day. And the more you give, the more you get. That's where the work is. It's the work of earning whatever, whatever your well-chosen goal would be. It doesn't have to be wealth, but I can tell you one thing. If you don't give your hours, you don't use your potential. Uh, so that's that's what the day looks like. What I think sometimes people see is that, oh my gosh, you're working so hard. And I'm saying, no, I'm not. I'm just using my time here. I'm not digging ditches. I'm just, you know, while you're raking your yard. We have to do those kind of things. I have to. I happen to be doing other things. My sacrifice was that I had to be intent day after day, calm, focused, steady. It's not that big of a deal. I'm not out of breath. I'm just focused. I'm using my time. And it's like anything. You get in the, the habit of it. And some of my team say to me, oh, what did you do on the weekend? And yes, I had recreational time and time with my family and time to enjoy things. But when I was working out at the gym, I was listening to that audio book and then I was, you know, I, I, you can get a whole university degree in your spare time just, you know, from hours that you might otherwise be just wasting. So, oh, I love you. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're preaching to the choir. Oh, that's that's so fantastic. Music to my ears. So many people don't, you know. I I see it all the time. I, I always did. I needed to. Uh, I always say that. Maybe that was because I had bigger goals and I, I just needed to stretch myself and I needed to expand who I was. And I, so I'm always doing those sorts of things. Um, sure, you don't need that stuff if you don't have stretch goals. So if you do, however, have a stretch goal. The day goes by and I actually feel, you know, if I haven't grown or learned something or furthered myself, I feel like, you know, it hasn't been a great day. So that's the other side of it when it becomes a habit. Yeah. You know, I think when you, I, I really feel like when you get in touch with what your full potential starts to feel like, like I take it to that level and it's supposed to be, okay? Like we're not supposed to be removed from like, people will say, well, that looks like work. Well, it looks like, it looks like your full potential is, is what it looks like to me. So if you're working, you can, you're putting garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. A lot of people say to me, oh, you know, Jared, I'm too busy to create wealth. Is Does it come down to the choice? of where you put those hours or what do you say to someone that is letting that busyness get in the way? I would say that so much of what we focus on is what we do. But what we, I think the first step of wealth is to focus on the don'ts. 
I think the don'ts take up a lot of time in our society. Uh, in the new, in my book coming up, let's say we have a, we have wealthy dues, you know, things you're supposed to, that you, sh- you know to do, and we have, there's wealthy don'ts. Well, what's the wealthy don'ts? Well, okay, what are you doing? Is it social media? What's the vices? Your, what, what are your vices? There are a lot of vices that will just take your time, claim your time, money, and your potential if you don't watch out for them. Shut it down. Social media, there's going to be some good recreations. You may have to give up things like that. that you have to make choices. It's called sacrifice. But you're sacrificing something you want now for something you want most. And that room is there, but you've got to live many devices. If somebody's sitting around drinking, that takes up a lot of time. And then there's the next day when you're not at your best too. And you do touch on um, giving up of alcohol in the book actually, don't you? And just not being your best self for your children. So that has been playing back to me even lately. When I first read it in your book, I was like, no way. Like, you know, I enjoy enjoy it too much. And now I'm down to maybe one... uh, one tiny whiskey a week and even when i have it i'm like do i even really need this <laughs> hey man i love preaching i'm not preaching i'm just telling what message is it giving to my daughter but everyone can choose the path you know absolutely I'm, i've got my staff christmas party tomorrow and uh i'm, I'm gonna have a few then so I'll be making up for it <laughs> <laughs> well i wanted to be known that i am certainly not judging nor do i give a chair what people do I'm just trying to explain in my own life why I gave it up when my kids were watching me. And um, I always say that I just don't think I'm smart enough to succeed with uh, different uh, drugs in my head. I'm just, people are better than me. I'm not smart enough. So I leave it at that. Well, well other than uh, giving up of the alcohol, what were some of the other daily mental practices that you talk about earning good luck? And I just love that concept because... That's the thing that people say to to others all the time too. Oh, you're so lucky. Yeah. What's behind that? Well, some of the the ways that you can turn luck in your favor. Sure. So I can give an example. Uh, Just as a story in my life, let's say, let's say that at one point I wanted to buy a commercial building on a busy uh, thoroughfare in my hometown to move my chiropractic clinic over. And so What's the process? How do, what do I go through every time? Every time I do this, I go through this process. What does it look like? I try to get it so clear in my mind. I focus completely on this goal. I just spend time, 10 minutes every day. And then you get on with your life. You get your head straight. But if there's just something, Jared, that every time I've done this, that I, I see coincidences show up that have always made me wonder. I'm like, a, I'm always an agnostic. Okay. I, I don't know. But here's what I here's what I observe. Okay, let's say when my mind gets on that, and I get into a feeling, and I can experience that that one becoming mine, odd things start to happen. Okay, and in this case, there was there was one person who was totally against us. Uh, he was on the board. He carried a lot of heavy weight. Well, okay, he was against me. I I mean I could kiss butt with the best of them in real estate, but he wasn't he wasn't coming around to my way of thinking. And okay, what do I do? I just keep on focusing and feeling and, and, and experiencing that. That's just how I've learned to do in my life. So we have the big, we have this one big finale. Uh, the board is coming together, the zoning board, everybody's going to decide whether or not all of my improvements could happen on this road that I'm talking about, paving, all this signs by the road. They said they're just no, there are no by the board. Okay. Well, due to a bunch of circumstances, 
on that particular night, that man could not make it to the meeting. And you know, you'll say, wow, that's, that's pretty lucky. That's a good coincidence. And I, you know, I just wanted to speak up for those coincidences in my life in this book because I think so many people will back off of that because it can sound a little spiritual. It'll sound a little bit uh, maybe mystical. And all I know is I would never not do that. And I have always seen. It's obviously played a pretty key role, hasn't it? So you can't leave it out. Jared, things I can't explain happen. That's all. And I can tell you that they happen enough in their stories of it in my book, nonstop. I don't claim to say, listen, uh, you have to follow a religion. You have to do this or that. But I did want to speak for those things and say, I stand by this, but I don't know what's going on. I'm not that smart, but here's what happened. And here's what happened. And here's what happened. I wanted three months off. I got a break and I got three months off. These kind of things happen. Okay. And I just didn't want that left unsaid to my son or to eventually, geez, uh, once I published it to the world, I guess. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's what putting my mind on it, creating luck looks like to me. Sure. Well, take us through, in your book, you talk about the wealth seasons and you touched on then when you're in your 20s where, you know, pretty much survival was the core focus and, and you have a few characters in your book as well. One of them is actually named Jared, which is not the, the only reason why I love your book, but, you know, he's the... Uh, the sloppy guy that's not motivated living at home at age 30 or whatever he is. So <laughs> when I was coming on this, I was thinking about that. Your name was Jared. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's motivating for me not to end up that way. <laughs> but, um, but I think, uh, the, the wealthy gardener actually says some things to Jared in the book about the wealth seasons and yeah, take us through them because it just, it almost takes the pressure off a bit and just allows you to make the most of the season you're in. 100%. And if you if you can't relax a little, you're just not going to enjoy the process, no matter what. I guarantee you that, that I would say that I was too much in a rush and I had to always pull myself back and read. The impatience, God, like I, it's almost like I cost myself so much by being so impatient. And it's easy when you get to the other side and look back, um, but in the moment when you you got that burning desire, you can almost burn up people with impatience. <laughs> so. You're telling my story. You know, uh, here I am, I'm 57 years old, and I can tell you that my great regret is that I was impatient all the way. I, you know, you, you don't have, it doesn't speed things up. You'll hear a lot of people talk about how this burning desire, you got to speed it up, you got to have it. That's not true. You can be just as effective calmly. Uh, so it's like you're still going to do the things you're going to do. You're not going to speed things up by being crazy and being agitated. I It's about focus. And in my case as well, I I was so busy, you know, actively renovating properties and developing properties and selling properties and joint venturing with people and turning so much over. Perhaps if I'd just, you know, in my case, held more quality properties and, and not been so impatient, I would be a lot further ahead too. So, you know, the 20s, I mean, yeah, you're, you're basically learning how to, you know, how to figure it out for yourself and how it works economically in the world. You know, you, there's no free lunch. You're going to learn that in your 20s. So you're learning a lot about money, you're learning about yourself as well. So you get yourself in the right situations where you can actually thrive. I'd say the 30 to 60 is where you're going to do a lot of your life work, a lot of your uh, savings, you know, in terms of the seasons of life, you know, from 30 to 60, it's just, you, you plow forward, you gain more and more responsibilities. 
you're going to you know pick up family you're going to have to learn how to navigate that with your ambition because you know nobody wants to have a have an unfulfilled family life along with it and you know if you if you learn how to bring your family and partner with a, with them into your venture and I don't mean having them in your houses or having them in your business but just having them in your life and in your communication being authentic with them tell them what your fears are having that interaction you're you're going to learn a lot of that kind of stuff in your 30s to 60s you know you're going to see your kids grow up and meanwhile it's just about steady progress 60 and beyond I'm not there yet but I can tell you that it looks like freedom if you do it right and if if you do freedom right it, it can get you into a lot more meaning you can find things that fulfill you you can find simple pleasures because the content of your day isn't so uh, controlled now that doesn't mean you're going to sit around and become soft it means that you can actually appreciate a walk in the woods because you have that the content that surrounds you it changes if you have freedom if you have wealth if you don't mm -hmm. you're going to work until you're dead uh you know you're going to work the whole way i think that's what people always ask you know is a sacrifice worth that i said well, what sacrifice are you talking about because you watched a lot of tv and you sacrificed your future i didn't watch tv i sacrificed the tv and i got my freedom so what are we talking about here what sacrifice so which end are we talking about i sacrificed the front end oh man i never want to be sacrificing the back end wow that's for sure you know when you get older so so is all of that sacrifice on the front end worth it for you, John? You know, well, what did I sacrifice, John? You know, when you think about it. Okay, so I think about that. Is it, what did I sacrifice? I sacrificed a lot of TV. I sacrificed golf. I did TV and golf. What else did I sacrifice? I had time with my family. And that's good that you still kept the, the family as a core piece because many people go too far into their work and, and then wake up with a divorce at 40 or 50. Yeah, yeah. I read a book once uh, on on that. They said, number one thing you can do to, to end up wealthy is not get divorced. Not lose 50%. <laughs> we laugh, but yeah, it is so true. I never said, not the emotional, the emotional anguish people go through with that. It just sucks it out of you. You know, you keep, can't even work at that point. But yeah, what did I sacrifice? The, the good things I sacrificed were I like, play, I like playing basketball. I did... Uh, the golf thing, uh, yeah, I sacrificed some sunny days there. I sacrificed some hangovers that other people had, a lot of drinking. What else did I sacrifice? Nothing. Nothing. TV and some some good entertainments. So I don't see it as that. But the wonderful thing about when you're going into those first seasons is that it's an adventure and it's a lot of fun too if you're not just sitting on the couch watching TV. You know, it was a relief. It's a relief. To be honest with you, Whenever you have a clear goal and you're pursuing it, that to me was, oh, thank God, I feel so much better than not to not know what to do in my life. Yeah, absolutely. You, you do. There's an energy to progress that uh, I think people underestimate until they feel it. It's like exercising. You know, you got to get to the point where you start getting in shape to feel good from exercise. So I think a lot of people stop because they don't get there, you know? And in the book, you talk about the five-year crusades and- sort of I kind of picture these crusades making up the seasons as you go and I love the the time period of five years because I, I struggle to think often beyond that too and it's just a nice chunk of time to organize my clarity and my thinking and 100 sure. I've wasted a lot of time in my life thinking beyond it okay because here's the thing yes yeah, so go ahead and set up your 30-year plan I don't care do it 
but I promise you, in five years, you're going to be a whole new person, whole new set of circumstances. People are going to be dead around you. You're going to not have people around you. Your your jobs are going to change. Everything's going to change around you every five years. Yeah, you might have a family. You're thinking entirely different. You know, hundred percent. So if you, I I like to say to keep things open. Five years is enough. It's enough time to change everything. However, it's also a time where it, you, it might be time for some reflection because you're going to be a new person. You always are. Go back five years, and what you're doing now is usually impossible in your mind five years ago. Like, oh, okay, I'm doing this now. <laughs> when did you start your podcasting? When did you start that? Two years ago. Okay. So five years ago, you you might not have seen that, right? When did you start your real estate business? 14 years ago. 14? So can you imagine taking yourself back 15 years and saying what's possible in your life? It's a bad spot to say. Could never have even come up with it. And I was, I pinched myself and said to my wife today, like, I interviewed one of our other authors from Australia, who's one of the biggest selling um, authors in Australia uh, today as well. And so I was so buzzed out that I'm getting to meet and interview my two favorite authors in a single day. And I was saying to my wife, the 16-year-old that uh, started out on this journey in reading Rich Dad Poor Dad could never have imagined that I'd be doing that in a single day, you know? So, And that's the case for five-year goals. Because if, say, 15 years ago, you can only go out about five years and you, you're lucky to get that one, let alone leapfrogging over that one, then the next five, then the next five. You can't even think about it. So just stick there, make it, you know, it's exactly. It's exactly the point. Everything's impossible if you think too far. But if you stick within smaller increments and then keep on choosing up, choosing up, choosing up, all of a sudden you start to see impossibilities vanish. Did I say on your website or somewhere online that you might be working on another book to cover that in depth? Is that is that right? Is, am I getting a scoop? <laughs> no, you're definitely, yeah. You know, the the, the main character from this book, I, I look at the, the Wealthy Gardeners, the Godfather 1 movies, right? <laughs> I look at this next one is The Godfather 2. And it has to uh, live up to it. But uh, yeah, I would say that the main character, Jimmy, who's going to be going back to the, the boys, the reform boys, you know, it's a lot of story about him. And he doesn't always handle the responsibilities of wealth at 22 as well as he should have. Uh, so there's a, there's a whole new level of getting wealthy and staying wealthy. And he's learning that real hard. Awesome. Is it, yeah, it's going to be, a, a, he has a class called Behavioral Wealthology. He teaches at the prison, and that is the sum of small efforts day in and day out, no doubt about it, in order to reach impossible goals. And the word impossible is important because these kids coming out of a reform system in the United States, 70% of them return to prison in five years. So they, it's not even possible for them to think of getting ahead. They have to just try to stay free and not cheat and not go back to jail. And so he's in a position of trying to help them, disadvantaged youths, get it together. Because uh, he came from the same prison. So that's the idea of the story. Sure. No, I can't wait for it. <laughs> I've hit, been hitting my head off a wall for three years on this story. I, I'm, you know, you see the wealthy gardener. I'm so I'm honored and humbled that you appreciate it. It, it always comes with a lot of just pain. I, I, I almost kill myself. Yeah, I kill myself in these books because I just can't quite get them right. Uh, so, yeah. So, you touched on a few little keys in there, but how do we create change when you're starting out, especially when that goal can seem so big? And I think you just 
might have let the the secret out then when breaking it down into small daily practices that may not even seem like much but when you get momentum it's like a snowball down a a snow down a, a big mountain you know at the start it's a few snowflakes and keep doing the same thing and building that momentum and day by day jared no doubt about it but here's the game of it man you know society is, is indifferent okay it doesn't care if you win or lose it's not against you it's not for you it's just there in society there are vices to choose and there are virtues to choose uh, vices to me look like a lot of wasting time or using time it's always a game of best sort of thing it's about what you feed your mind what you don't feed your mind it's all about do you control your subconscious mind or do you let it control you it's so much of that it's intentionality it's choosing short term or long term what tastes good today or what feels what feels good today or what's better for you long term what you want now versus what you want most all of that's playing out in society and every day there's choices like that in the meantime the, the challenge of it all is you're doing everything right you're doing everything right you're doing everything right and damn it you just don't see yeah it's not showing up yet you know the oak tree grows so slowly in days but it grows a lot in five years and that's the thing that's the hardest part of mentality when you're doing this stuff you have to keep doing what you know is right without seeing it <laughs> so how do we track our efforts how do we track our progress how do we track our effectiveness our impact that's really important because the tree if you stare at that oak tree it grows a lot in five years but not even it's unobservable in a month and so often is our success the same way but we just got to stay at it awesome so in the book you also talk about discontentment i related to that one a lot <laughs> tell us uh, you know how can that be a fuel for your fire so to speak or how can you use that discontentment in a positive way constructive discontentment yeah sure I mean, without discontentment, uh, Jared, I, I, we'd all be uh, using outhouses, you know? I think it gets a bad name, like we should accept what is and settle for it. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe we'll oftentimes hear that by, by pious preaching people, you know, accept what is. Well, wait a minute, maybe God puts some potential in you and you're not quite fulfilling it. And maybe that's why you're, you're discontented. Maybe that desire is, is, is a good thing, it's positive. I believe in discontentment. I also believe it enough, you know, it's, there's, there's always, there's, I'll get interviewed on a podcast and people will say, well, why didn't you keep going further? Like I, I have 110 rentals. Um, I think that it's really important to know when you're, where your enough is and to stop and to say, okay, now this is my next five years. So it is important to know where your enough is. Discontentment is just like financial fear. People say, oh, well, don't think about fears. Don't think about fears. Are you kidding me? You know, people get run over by cars, not thinking about fears. And so. We are definitely pulled by positive emotions and we are also pulled to avoid insecurities, things that are threats to our existence, discontentments that don't fit our way of believing. That's not a problem. That's called a human being seeking growth. That's all good. Most of the people that are preaching to you against that are people who are stuck and they're quite frankly not comfortable with your amount of effort because it doesn't make them feel too good when they're not working as hard as you. It's almost like they've given up and and they think that your discontentment's wrong. Here's what I understand for sure, is that I don't need people to understand me who aren't working hard. When you're trying to explain yourself to them, just stop and get back, move move somewhere else. 
you can't. You'll never change them. But that's what I know for sure. And you also talk about self-mastery and it's, you know, it's something that I've I really resounded with as well in the book. Tell us about how you think about self-mastery and how it relates to wealth and that journey that we all go on. <laughs> well, I, I've got this question before and I have done such pitiful, terrible, embarrassing, humiliating explanations of this. What my idea of self-mastery had been playing around in your head <laughs> since. Good God, I'm terrible at explaining what I mean by this. Okay, but here's the thing. I used to play sports and I bring it back to this, right? When I'm, when I'm young, and if you walk onto a sporting event, there is anybody who's gotten this state where you will control this game because you are in command of it. You know, you're just going to score 30 points in a basketball game. Get out of my way. This is happening today. I'm sorry. This is not your day. This is my day. But when you get in that kind of a mode, it's an invincible feeling. I love it. It's a, it, now I'm in charge of my emotions. People call it the flow state. Now, how does that translate uh, into real life? Into real life to me. I just love that. You know, I still play basketball um, twice a week and I want to keep playing for us. Oh, like even this week, we, we were down by three. There's five minutes to go. It's that absolute belief in all of us. We're not going to lose this game. Like, you know, and that's the, deci the deciding decision. It's will. It's more than intellect. It's way bigger than intellect. It's emotional. And I, that's what I was getting to. Now, that's easy to, to come to while sailing on a sporting event. We get it. How does that play into an eight-hour day at your job in the middle of a week? To me, Jared, I had to keep my... my. Um, it's emotional. To me, it's, it's on the wellness wheel. You know, you talk about the different parts of your life. It's emotional. I had to keep my emotions at a high level, meaning calm but confident, okay? All day long despite the fact that it looks like I'm losing and I'm down by three and all odds are against me, you know, and maybe uh, if I let myself fall into fear, I would, but no, that's not the way you play in the fourth quarter when you're down by 15 points. No, it's my job to keep myself stable up. And that's what I mean by self-mastery to me is an emotional state. I can get there by exercise. I get there through biology, food, exercise, posture, Things like that have started for me. Then you get to the point where you control that invisible subconscious mind of yours because it controls more of us than we want to know. That shadow work is important. But to me, self-mastery is all about feeling confident despite everything I see. It's my job to feel confident. And confidence is an emotion. It's all emotional. Awesome. And one of the things I see many investors struggle with, and that's why I keep bringing it up, in a lot of my podcasts and it's funny the common thread that this weaves through all of us that have you know made wealth and become financially free is the importance of saving and i love how you talk about saving urgently in your book so sure why do you think everyone doesn't do it when you know it's when it's so logical that in order to invest in order to get ahead we need to be able to save yet most people don't do it and most people don't save urgently like you talk about it. I think that it comes down to what we want now versus what we say we want. Yeah. There's no doubt. Of, and, you know, keep in mind that in society, spenders are rewarded by social status. So we get reward from this. If we, if we buy, there's, there's 
you know, the, the bigs, let's call it, talk about the bigs, the house, the cars, the food, the clothes, that, those are the bigs. We get rewarded. People look up to us. I mean, I, you know, if you have a lot of renters, you realize that there's a lot of people that can show up with a really nice car, look great, speak well, and their finances are a mess. Yeah, we see it day in, day out with what we do. Yeah. Social status. You get So people, they, they go to that. They, they, they get esteem from peers. Society showers you with affection if you spend and look good. Uh, number two, it's just easier. Quite frankly, it's, it's, it's just like eating a dessert or it's, a, it's you do the thing that feels good as opposed to the thing that might be the best long-term idea. I guess that's why there is so many uh, parallels between being healthy with your eating and being disciplined with your money. Hundred <laughs> percent, Jerry. I mean, come on, it's like, it's about devices. It's, it's the things that feel good and taste good. I always say that I don't believe in a in a kind God because God made ice cream taste good and broccoli tastes like broccoli. And it's like you know, you always have these choices every day of your life to eat broccoli or or, or ice cream. You can spend or not spend. You know, there's there are books that will tell you that we are so bad at impulsive behavior that it's just better to get that money off the books, automatic savings plans, get it out of there, and then you have a forced amount of money that you, almost like an allowance that you're allowed to spend. I mean, so you can make that decision in your strong state. The problem is in our weak state, we don't have we don't have the same amount of willpower. And so all of a sudden, these little $100 adds up to this, where the hell did my money all go? Nobody knows. Where the hell did my time all go? Nobody knows. All I know is I have no money in my lifetime, and it's going to be my excuse now because now I'm 35 years old. I'm going to throw my age on it too. Let's have let's let's throw that as an excuse. But the next five years are coming. Wait a minute. The next five years are coming. You have a choice to make those your best years, the big years of your life. But you got to get it straight in your head. You got to not spend. Your, it's time. It's money. It's potential. It's all you got. There's nothing else. You can, you can spend time, money potential or you can use time money potential there is nothing else <laughs> that's it and it's simplicity isn't it well i don't see where it's wrong i i've thought about it <laughs> and one of the things i always like to do is you know before i had money i developed really great habits so when i got it it, it just continued and i like to think about especially for my listeners, like what is financial freedom going to look like after? Because everyone focuses so much on the getting there, but you know, then what? What is it for you, John? And is that the pinnacle of climbing the mountain? Is it, you know, is there, is there more once you get up to that first peak? Well, I would, I would say this, Jared, if your, if your goal is to sit on the beach, you don't have the motivation inherent in that goal to get there. It's not going to work. That's just not a motivating goal. Now, financial freedom is the start, and it's the start of whatever. I'll tell you, for some people, it's it's the start of a lot of bad habits. Not everybody's ready for it. Yeah, There's too much freedom. Uh, not everybody can handle that. Now, it can be the start of the best things of your life. You can have time now, let's say, to serve in your own way. Who are you? Have you figured this out? What is the, what is the gift you're going to give to society? Not because you're you're a saint, but because this makes you feel fulfilled. Uh, those are the kind of things that you can do in retirement. That's the kind of things you can do with financial freedom. You can sit here and and meet people on your podcast because you put in efforts in the past. Guess what? If you're slaving because you spent all your money, you're somewhere in a factory right now. You're not doing what you're doing. 
you know, I appreciate the fact that you're staying up at nighttime. It's it's like 9.30ish or something your time right now. It's early in the morning my time right now. You have content choices. I think that's the best thing you can do with the freedom. Me, I find a torture and a fulfillment in writing. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's, that's there's something too that people say, well, you find the torture you can endure, you know, the hard work that you can endure. That's kind of what you're looking for in life. You know, forget about the, the rainbow and the passion. It just feels right and you're satisfied. I feel satisfied there, but I can't write if I'm just slaving every day chasing a dollar. I, I'm just not smart enough to do both. <laughs> so that's what freedom is the start of purpose, but purpose gets you freedom. So there's, it's individualistic. Everybody has their own purpose, I think. And I guess when you wrote The Wealthy Gardener, it was, you know, your lessons to your son. Like you, you've mentioned that you're writing this next book. Who, who are you writing this one for? You know, this, I have to, okay, so perfect question again. I mean, I could just tell you've been through it. I, I admire you for this, the boys you asked the questions because here, I'm 57 and you're, you're, you've got to figure out what I'm going through right now. So who am I writing for? I feel like uh, there's some inner city kids that I know who are good and hungry. And I look at them as part of the, out of all of the feedback I've gotten from my book, which was translated into, you know, 10 languages and it hit number 46 worldwide and all this kind of stuff. I get, you know, I'll get like a Nobel laureate and I'll get a couple of prisoners giving me feedback. You know, who, who really, I love, I love the prisoners. I love them. Uh, they write and they talk about their hope in the future. So that's who I'm writing for. Um, um, it's a fictitious story. But I do feel the need of hunger. And these people just, they just want to get ahead. I don't think everybody wants wealth. I think people want, I think a lot of people just want to not be fearful. They don't want to have money worries. And then they want to get on with their life. I'm right here for that. You know, this, I think there's a 22 year old in my own life, you know, my past self that really didn't know what was coming, you know, so I went through a lot of uh, pain. And I'm, I guess I'm still trying to figure that out that use that so that the other people won't go through that same pain, right? Man, it didn't have to be this long for me. Going mental teenagers as well. It's like I went through so much pain and difficulty trying to find the path and just feel like if I can at least create a context and, and help them find theirs earlier, that's what keeps me coming back to that. So, 100%. Now you're talking about retirement stuff. Like, So what are you going to do in retirement? Uh, well, you're, I guarantee it, you're going to be happy. You're going to find some sort of a service, a purpose. Don't, I don't even have to go into it. Human beings are wired to be tribal. And they just, you just have, I'm not sure why we are, but we are. You're not quite happy unless you're serving something. Your fulfillment will be lost if you're just thinking about yourself only. And so as the most selfish thing you can do, you can serve others in retirement in a way that really, really fulfills you. Well, I'm hoping that what we've chatted about today will certainly help improve other people's lives that are listening. And I think that's a really great place to end things on. And this is coming out just before New Year's. Um, so a great time if anyone hasn't read The Wealthy Gardener to check out the links in the show notes. You can buy it on all the, the major places. And I, I love the audiobook version on Audible personally because yeah, you can get it in and around all those other things that you're doing in life. You can really work up some impact hours there and and what a great time of year to be to be doing some working on yourself as well. So check out the book. Anything finally to add, John? It's been such a privilege and pleasure to have you on and really appreciate you taking the time. I'm impressed by you. Uh, I, I told you on the start of the show that I really love my Australia publisher and I, 
I've had nothing but positive. I'm starting to have nothing but positive uh, experiences with the Australian crowd. So uh, you're fitting right in. I, I appreciate it, Jared. And uh, sorry for writing such a um, a character named Jared in my book who didn't quite. It's my anti anti self. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're certainly the opposite of that. So uh, thank you for having me on your show. Appreciate it. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburb of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at Investors Hedge com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group to be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions, and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group.